Thanks, Sarah. That was great. Enjoying that kids' spot. That was good. Dark on me, just getting right into it, answering all the questions, celebrating. He knew that the Hulk was green. Well done, Darko. It's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> right then, so if you're here on a visit today, a very warm welcome to you on holidays, etc. Welcome to Swansea. Join online. Great to see you as well. We are going to carry on the next part of the series. That is quite true. Don't we live in a fast-changing world with technology? Are we trying to keep up with it all, aren't we? Uh, so, what I found really impressive was just a couple of weeks ago how one of the car manufacturing companies is now getting their customers to subscribe to certain things they can switch on in their cars, like heated seats or heated steering wheels. You actually subscribe and they'll switch that on for you. That's amazing, isn't it? Technology surrounds us. One of the big things that really shook my world was a couple of years ago now, and my kids are all into something called Snapchat. Have you heard of Snapchat, everyone? Raise your hand if you've heard of Snapchat. Or more embarrassingly, if you haven't yet a Snapchat, put your hands up. There was only one hand. Right, bear with me, all right? I'll try and explain to you. Anyway, it's usually the youngsters are into it. It's a very quick messaging tool, okay? And um, I was at this stage where I'd been um, exercising in Penland Leisure Centre. That was one occasion. And one of my son's friends had taken a photograph of me and sent it to my sons and said, oh, your dad's in the gym working out. And I didn't know about this until I got home later. So I was like, being stalked by this kid. Like, you, you, your life is not private anymore. The next thing, which was even more worrying, is I got home and one of my other sons said, oh, Dad, so you've been shopping in Poundland today. <laughs> so this kid had recognised me. I took a picture of me queuing up in Poundland. Now, you go to Poundland. If you go to Poundland with a fiver in your pocket, like the world is your oyster, isn't it? It's like, can I get a bucket for a pound to wash my car? Can I find an electric light bulb for a pound? Can I buy a pack of AA batteries for a pound? It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Treat yourself to a Sunday afternoon out. Take a five with you to Poundland, and you will be amazed by what you can find. Treat yourself. It's brilliant. Okay, so moving on, of course, we got the amazing images that we get back with spacecraft going out there and telescopes just reaching into parts of the universe which are mind-blowing. We think of God's creation, things we try to fathom with our own minds, and we're getting some images back of certain parts of, of the amazing universe that we live in. We get a glimpse of the majesty of God and the heavenly realms. So technology is around and about, and we all think that we've got our own lives private, but of course, you're always one step away from a Snapchat picture. But this morning, I wanted to look at the next part of the seeds. We're going to look at Nicodemus' story, where we find that his faith goes from like a private investigation into like more of a public domain. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. So from a private faith journey to more of a public outshowing of faith. And of course, there are different pressures upon his life, which could have been too high a hurdle to get over, because I'm going to explain a little bit about his background and what his life was about. But we find through Nicodemus' story that freedom can be found in faith in Jesus. Despite the forces of history, tradition, religion, and the confines of his personal experience and circumstances, there is something amazing that happens when we find faith in Jesus and the difference God can make in our lives. 
So even when we have been used to living in a certain way as individuals, maybe there's something that God has wanted to transform and change in our minds and our thinking this morning, reveal a little bit about his kingdom and the beauty of God this morning. So let's jump straight in where we first read about Nicodemus in John 3, and I'll read it for us this morning. So now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So those are the first six verses in chapter 3 of John there. And what I find is amazing is is how personal Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And of course, we're looking at eyewitness accounts. Nicodemus is named, he's a Pharisee, and here, Jesus is having this intimate conversation with him. And when you just read that in the dry kind of scripture, unless we start thinking about the actual interaction of the, of the talk and the in one another's company, and the way the conversations go, you know, surely I cannot enter into my mother's womb a second time. It can be like a little bit funny if you think about it. It's quite comical in a way. So I thought, after reading, I thought, I'll have a look. There's this series called The Chosen, of course. I thought, I'll have a look at the conversation of Jesus and Nicodemus in The Chosen, how it's displayed on that. And it is really good. So I do recommend you, if you've got 10 minutes, to jump onto YouTube and have a look at The Chosen, the snippet of where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. It's fantastic. It is lovely to see the, the good news of Jesus being like unpacked with this Pharisee. Okay, so Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He was one of the elite in the country. There was only ever a certain amount of Pharisees in the nation at the time. They were known as the Chabura, which is the brotherhood, the Pharisee of the brotherhood. And they really spent their time in observing the scribal law, the, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. So the Sabbath law, for example... We know that caused a lot of pressure points when we read in the New Testament. Jesus would heal people on the Sabbath and then, you know, would drive the Pharisees wild. And then the disciples were eating heads and grains of wheat. And that was driving them wild because they're not supposed to work or do anything on the Sabbath. So you can think of the, you know, the, the, the confines of the Pharisees thinking they were really embedded into the first five books of the Old Testament and the laws but there was also a lot of add-on things that they were putting in place to try and, you know, weave in certain um, skills, certain, skill, certain um, confines for people who were living out their lives. So, for example, you couldn't walk a certain distance on a Sabbath, so they had ways and means around of trying to get another thousand yards in or something like that by, by tweaking the laws a little bit. So, we can just consider that. So Nicodemus comes from a background of being a Pharisee. He had authority. He had position, his status. You can imagine, you know, being one of the elite of the country. That, that caused a lot of... There was a lot on his shoulders because he was representing an authority, a power for the law. And we read a little bit later on, and I look a bit further into it. In John 19, we read again about Nicodemus. It says this, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, he's talking about Joseph of Arimathea, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night, 
Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So we know in that that would have cost a lot of money. So Nicodemus had the resources to be able to go out and purchase these things. So we're just trying to paint a picture of what his life was about. So ruler of the Jews, the Archon, they were a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin were made up of about 70 members who were like the supreme court of the Jews. Okay, they really upheld the law. So they had religious authority over every Jew in the world. And one typical duty, for example, is to examine and deal with anyone suspected of being a false prophet. And of course, Jesus was well and truly on their radar, and so too were his followers, because you can imagine the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, were upholding the law and, and the work of the scribes, and they were ensuring people were rigidly stuck to these things, and they were really keeping their eyes out for false prophets. And it was pretty full on, because we know in many of the stories how they wanted to like stone people, you know, the woman caught in adultery, for example, they wanted to finish her off by stoning her, and they challenged Jesus on that situation. So we know this group of people are really full on. They are really full on. We read in Acts 7 and 8, it gives account of Stephen, a man we read full of the Holy Spirit. And it's the members of the Sanhedrin who were in absolute rage with him when he was explaining, you know, about their history and how they were the ones who were, you know, crucifying Jesus. And we read in the scriptures that they went absolutely ballistic, rushed at Stephen and stoned him. So we get a bit of a picture of how full on, you know, Nicodemus' role and what his peer group were all about. We read further in Acts 7 and 8 that Saul approved of this stoning of Stephen. And Saul was a Pharisee and a young man, we read. And we hear that the whole church was persecuted and scattered at this time. And Saul was going around destroying the church, going to house to house, dragging off men and women. So he was also a Pharisee. So it gives a further picture, you know. And Saul, of course, has... His life changed and turned around dramatically when Jesus speaks to him directly. And Saul, as you know, becomes Paul. And his witness and his input into the New Testament and the lives of many people is all for us to see in the New Testament there. So this context then, when we consider Nicodemus, is this group of Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, hated Jesus because he challenged them, he challenged their authority, he challenged what they were about, he challenged the th that they were like hypocrites, they were putting pressure on people to follow this, that, and the other rule, where Jesus was coming in with a message of grace, and a message of love, and a message of upholding love and compassion for men and women, boys and girls, that through believing in him, lives can be changed and transformed not just running around and being confined by the law, but experiencing a life-changing, grace-giving, forgiving, loving God that through faith in Jesus, lives can be changed. And that was Jesus' message, the message of the kingdom, the kingdom now, the kingdom at work, the kingdom of God is at work right now. When we pray, God, your kingdom come, we're asking for that right now. When Chloe and Sarah were talking about the stories of the kingdom, healing Jesus healing people right now, today, in today's age, that is because the kingdom of God is at work. The kingdom isn't just for when we die and we go to heaven. No, us, we are the holders of that message that Jesus changes life, transforms us. 
makes the difference. So when we see the signs of the kingdom, when we pray for someone whose year gets open, now they can now hear. I shouldn't use hear and hear, shall I, with this accent? When those, when those things happen, that is the sign of God at work. God wants us to know him in such a real way. He does want to see our lives changed and transformed. He does want those men and women, boys and girls, who are walking the face of this earth today who don't know him. He wants them to know him. And when we come to praying and laying hands on people and telling them about our story, it's because we've experienced and know and see the kingdom of God at work. And us, we are those who experience that in such a real way. So God is at work the kingdom is happening in and around us, and there is this two-way track in life, isn't there? If you think of a train track, there's, there's like two, two tracks, and sometimes one track is a track of difficulty and hurt and pain and anguish. Then on the other track is the track of love and compassion and the peace of God and the hope that's within him and the joy that Christ has sacrificed his life for us and that through our message of, you know, saying, God, fill my life, there is like those two tracks, you know, of the both things happening in our life's journey. And we just want the kingdom of God to really move in our hearts and in our experiences and in all that is going on. So for Nicodemus, there was a pressure for him because you can see there's something going on in his heart. It's not enough for him anymore just to follow the rules and traditions of men. So the implications for Nicodemus being a Pharisee, he would have lived his life dedicated to the Old Testament laws. He's well-educated. He would be rubbing shoulders with people of like-mindedness. He had wealth. He would have had authority and power through belonging to the Jewish ruling council. And yet, there was something missing. There was something not right. He was seeing what Jesus was doing. He was hearing the stories. He was seeing the miracles. He knew he was a teacher of God. But what? There was more. There was more. And of course, he has this conversation with Jesus. So God specializes in finding and changing people. Finding and changing people. And today, there might be something in our hearts where we might be asking God, Lord, I pray that in my mind, in my thinking, in my understanding, that you would change me in this. Lord, I'm praying about this situation that I can't seem to just fix on my own. It can't be done. Lord, I pray that you would bring your blessing into this situation. And these are the things I believe for Nicodemus, he just saw something different. He saw the kingdom of God at work in reality, God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's change in people. And Nicodemus, I believe, wanted some of that. So Jesus' message the whole purpose of coming to earth is to rescue people, to rescue us from sin and difficulty. For those who run out of hope, for those who are sick, we read that Jesus came to heal the sick, those who need a doctor, who recognize, oh, you know, I can't live my life in my own strength here. My actions, the rules and regulations that I live, that isn't enough. And it's just not really getting me anywhere. And that is the fantastic message, the good news of Jesus, that his love, his compassion, his sacrifice on the cross was for us to know and be right in God when we recognize him and his love. He is at work. He's our savior. He rescues us. And we can draw on that 
relationship, love and forgiveness each day of our lives. So Nicodemus was in this quandary. His peers are a hard bunch to please. His life has been spent following the Old Testament law. And Jesus claims to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and what everything points to. So you can recognize this pressure pot going on, the tension. So he makes an appointment to see and visit Jesus at night. He's a teacher himself, and he comes to Jesus to be taught, to ask the questions. So if ever we experience the pressure of peers in our life, it is no different to Nicodemus. You can think of the people, peer group that he's having to deal with. I'm sure none of us have got that many intense friends who are going to stone us to death if, you know, we put a foot wrong. So it was really full on for him. So I just would like to encourage us this morning, if we find ever we've got opposition with a classroom of friends or colleagues at work or neighbors in our communities, do you know what? We can take a little leaf of our Nicodemuses and be more interested in what Jesus thinks of our lives, in our obedience and love of him. That is such a big thing, his grace and his love. So Nicodemus had a lot to lose, but so much more to gain. Maybe losing public status, but finding freedom and salvation and the kingdom of God. And in his searching for answers that lead up to the great gospel message revealed in verse 16, says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, of course, it's like the good news unpacked to one of the, you know, the teachers of Israel. So Jesus has this conversation with the right kind of guy, I suppose, because this guy did have clout and authority, but he was experiencing a life-changing transformation within him. It wasn't about religion and law and rules and regulation anymore, but it was understanding this message of grace and love. And it's not through our own actions and through our own work that we find the salvation, but in the free gift of God. And that story that each of us have is very important. So overcoming our peer group is an important part of that journey, I think. Now, many of us may have our own stories to tell. I certainly have. I used to play youth football for a team down in Llanelli in the Carmarthenshire League there. And I was like a young man, I suppose 17, 18, something like that. And I'd come to faith in Jesus. And then, of course, these guys all got wind of that fact. And they made my life not a misery, but they did try. <laughs> so I got, I'm playing football with like guys in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And, oh, you're hands of you. Do you join the God Squad now? And all this kind of stuff. And some of the guys, oh, you go to church now, do you? So I'm being like a, quite a young, quiet kind of guy at the time. It was like a lot of pressure. You really feel self-conscious, you know. But something had happened to me. Something spiritual and dynamic had happened to my life. I'd come to faith in Jesus, and he changed and transformed me. And that was like good enough to, to say, look, boys, this is, this is life for me now. I have come to faith in Jesus, and it really doesn't matter what you say. It's not going to put me off. And, of course, it was the same in industry. It was the same in college, getting all, all that kind of stuff. But here I am. Many years later, still following Jesus in my life. And it's, you know, life can be a roller coaster, can't it? It's not always easy pops, but still here, still serving Jesus because he changed and experienced something real in my life. He's made a huge difference. I found hope for the future, 
a newfound confidence, purpose in life, answers about creation and why we're here, what happens when we die, and all these things which were questions in my mind, and these things far outweighed the attitudes of those guys who were giving me a bit of grief and taking the mick. So Jesus, his love and sacrifice, his pain and obedience, his rescue is more meaningful than any unkind word that can be fashioned against us. So if ever we get strife and trouble and pain in our walk and the pointing fingers and taking a mick because, you know, found God, found Jesus, whatever, just recognize the fact that we have found our Lord, the one who makes a difference, the one who forgives us, who has set us free, who's given us freedom to find joy and to know joy in our lives, to know hope and compassion. And that is the difference, the reality of God at work. And we know when people aren't walking with God and the difficulties and consequences of that can happen in their lives because they're pursuing something which can be very much opposite to the God's will and love for their lives. We may have our own story of challenge and pushing past opposition. One thing for me was baptism, a big thing in terms of speaking out in public, doing something in public to say, yes, I am now following Jesus. But for many here today, there may be another sticking point, another difficulty that we're overcoming. There's a challenge that we're trying to push past. Well, let me tell you today that there is not one hurdle too high to get over when Jesus is at work in our lives and at work in our hearts. There is nothing that can prevent us from knowing him, knowing his love, knowing his compassion, and seeing the kingdom of God at work in our lives. We can be encouraged. And when the trials and sorrows do come upon us, take heart, it says in John 16, 33. When trials and sorrows come along, take heart, take heart, for I have overcome the world, so we can know inner peace in our hearts. Jesus encourages us. When we face trials, when we feel sorrows, because those things do come along, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Take heart. So this morning, right now, you may want to quickly pray to Jesus and say, Lord, I take heart in your love right now. Thank you for loving me. So Nicodemus was exploring Jesus the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And here in those verses we just read, Jesus gives the master class of all talks, explaining the good news that can be found in him. Great. So moving on very quickly. Naomi, would be kind enough to pass me my bottle of water, please? I normally only talk for five minutes in real life. Okay, good. So moving on. That's the first thing we hear about Nicodemus. The second bit, John 7, talks about the unbelief of the Jewish leaders. So let me read that to us this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So here we recognize that Nicodemus has notched it up a level. He's he stepped out a little bit to say he's kind of defended Jesus in a way there. 
say, well, you know, does our law condemn a man with first share in him? And of course, the Pharisees are on to him straight away, you know. So they use strong language to discredit Jesus. They call them a mob. They know nothing is a curse on them, etc. And you can feel the heaviness, the weight of religion and tradition weighing them down and weighing people down. But Nicodemus bravely steps into the statement to raise the question of justice. The tide is turning in his life. He's seen Jesus do amazing things. He's met with him. He's spoken to him. He's seen the miracles. He's thinking about it. He's been challenged and changed. And there's a shift from fear to courage. And we're all influenced by what we see and by what we hear. And a personal revelation is one that is so critical to our lives, the things that we see, we hear. Sometimes even the smell that we smell in a certain place reminds us of something. But when we see God at work, when we hear the stories of what he's been doing, it changes everything. It changes everything. And when we read, there's many, many instances of Jesus purposefully meeting with people to change their lives we read one such instance with a Samaritan lady. It's the middle of the day. And Jesus, of course, meets her at noon. And she's getting water. And he asks her for a drink, etc., etc. And there's this complex kind of Jewish and Samaritan clash because of history and things like that. And there's this kind of pressure. But Jesus is extending the love, the hand of love, the hand of friendship to her. And he's so slowly revealing to her that he is the Messiah, and she's asking questions, and he reveals to her a word of knowledge about the fact that she'd had five previous husbands, and the guy she was living with now wasn't her husband. So she was like an outcast, you know, someone with a, with a history and not trusted by her community. And Jesus meets with her. He's talking to a woman. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. He's talking to a Samaritan woman with a history. And he's changing the concept of what it is to be kind of right before God. That he says, I'm the Messiah. Put your faith in me. Everything changes. You may thirst now, but when my experience, my love comes into your life, there's livers of living water that rise up within you. And it changes everything. It changes everything. And the woman rushes back to the town to report what's happened. All of a sudden, those barriers have been dropped. And she goes to tell people, just come and listen to the guy who's told me everything about my life. And she's speaking out her testimony. And she runs back and tells her community. And they rush out. They rush out to see Jesus. Many believed because of her testimony. But then lords of her community go to Jesus and they hear the words from him for themselves, and he stays with them for a couple of days, and the outcome, many more believed. Verse 42 of the chapter there says this, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, now we have heard for ourselves, we, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So I was encouraged us today that we hear stories of encouragement, we hear people's things which have really happened in their lives, but also, what is our story? What has Jesus done in our lives? The witness, when someone asks us, oh, I hear you've got a church, I hear you're a follower of Christ. What is our story? What are the signs of the kingdom that have changed our lives, that have made a difference, which has transformed us? Be ready. 
give thanks to God for those things. A personal revelation, a journey of faith. Now, when Nicodemus was chatting to Jesus and he's experienced, you know, there's something going on, there's something changing, I believe God sieves our hearts in life. Have you ever used a sieve? Tell you why I like to use a sieve. Sean uses it for making cakes and going through the flour and all. I've never done that before. It'd be a right mess if I did. When I use a sieve is when I'm making homemade chips, because that's my limit of cooking abilities. But when the oil has been used a couple of times, I never burn the oil, but the kids do. Sometimes like little bits start floating around after you've used it a couple of times. So what I do, I sieve the oil then. I love it, it's so good. You sieve the oil, and all the little bits get stuck in the sieve. You get rid of that, but you're left with nice clean oil again. I love that, it's a lovely feeling. I've not to buy new oil, but I've got fresh, and it looks fresh to me. It hasn't been burnt. But the impurities and the hard bits are left behind, and you can kind of discard those things. So Jesus saves our hearts. The lumps and the hard bits and the impurities, maybe the prejudices we have, or the dodgy attitudes, or the motivations for things, or the unhealthy kind of stuff that kind of has put a dampener on certain aspects of our faith walk. But you know, Jesus saves the heart, and that's a good thing, because God loves his children. He does save us. There are times where he'll help us get rid of those little bits in our lives which have become a little bit of a difficulty for us. And we can be encouraged that Jesus loves us so much that he does want to help save our hearts in our faith walk. And let's not begrudge those times or let's get held up on those things. Let's be grateful that God loves the details of our lives and our hearts, that he wants to help us in our lives. So we can put the things we hear and see into our day-to-day life in the choices that we make. And of course, Nicodemus must have been wrestling with these things so much. You know, he's lived a lot of years following the law and the regulations, but there has been change in his life. And I was chatting to a friend in the week um, who was sharing about how her mum was brought up in a certain religious tradition and there was a, a time in her life where she just saw like regulation and rules and people would dip in and out of that. But for her in her life's walk, she had this revelation of Jesus in her life. And my friend's mum, her life was transformed. She's brought up in a certain way for many years in, a, in this religious tradition. But now she'd met with Jesus and it had changed everything for her. But there was pressures on her. Her family were of the religious tradition and found out she'd become a Christian and were not happy with her. And her friends, though she worked with everyone who she worked with were of this religious tradition as well. And they shunned her and weren't nice to her and wouldn't accept the fact that Jesus is now living in her life. But as my friend was telling me, her mum kept on going, being faithful and putting her faith in Jesus And one by one, year after year, her family, her friends, turned to Christ. And sometimes it's not an overnight thing. It might take that amount of time for things to work out in people's lives.
But just like that Samaritan woman who, whose life has changed and transformed, I was really encouraged by this story I heard this week. And it's fantastic that God can bring change, that his love can make all the difference altogether. Okay, and just finally and closing for this morning's talk, I just want to go on to the third part of Nicodemus's journey of faith. And we find this after the crucifixion of Jesus in John 19. Let's take a look. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. And this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. So we read that Joseph of Arimathea was also a leader and an honored member of the Jewish ruling council. And now this act of serving, burying Jesus' body for burial, these were like public acts now because news is going to get out there what these guys have done. And of course, they, they belong to the, to the Sanhedrin. So these guys struggled with secret faith in Jesus, but now in witnessing Jesus' death and his walk, and of course he hasn't been resurrected at this stage, they've taken responsibility to do something, anything that God has given them to make a difference. The purchasing of the spices, the public act, the show that they actually cared for this Jesus, that he had made a difference and it was impacting their lives. Joseph and Nicodemus must have struck up a strong friendship, I guess. They're now in the same boat together. Two men with faith in Jesus, belonging to this traditional, you know, religious group of people. And now they have faith, support, and friendship. And I see this as being, it's important for us as people to have faithful friends in our walk and in our journey. We see here that they use their resources for kingdom purposes. I see that as another kind of act that we as people also can use our resources for kingdom purposes. And also, they would have had to stand strong in the face of opposition. And maybe they helped even more Pharisees during their time in their friendship, in their newfound faith. Maybe they did win a couple of other people over to faith in him. So, we too can appreciate one another, protect our friendships in our lives, and honor God with what we have and who we are. And that's kind of it for Nicodemus. Well, that's about as much as I could find. If you find any more, please do let me know. So let's close our eyes, and I'll close for today. Yes, yeah, so we want to thank you so much for your love, Lord. And it's good to hear and learn about Nicodemus's journey and how you changed him, Lord, how you challenged his heart and his thinking, and there must have been a lot of things he thought about, but you brought life, you brought love, you brought freedom, the freedom of faith, of goodness, of grace, of forgiveness, and we thank you for these things, Lord, and this eyewitness account that Nicodemus is named, his story goes on, his journey goes on, and we just glean everything that we can from this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. See you there.